The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. On March 30th, experts gathered to discuss Alberta's planned engagement on extended producer responsibility and the next steps for developing EPR policy in the province. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, the RCA's Executive Director, Christina Seidel, leads the second half of a discussion on the implementation of extended producer responsibility in Alberta. These policies prioritize the waste hierarchy and innovation, outline how Alberta can transition to EPR and advance outcomes in the future, drive municipality engagement, and define transboundary issues. The panel includes Heather Von Hoff, the Executive Director of Water and Waste Policy with Alberta Environment and Parks, Jody Tomshinson London, the President of the RCA, Alda Nickmans with the BC Product Stewardship Council, and Kelsey Morden with the Retail Council of Canada. These are the speakers that we are lucky to have with us. So today you are going to hear from four experts on EPR. We're going to hear from Jody Tomchishan London, who we are thrilled to have as the president of the RCA, but she is also known as an EPR guru, so she brings a lot of knowledge on the subject matter. We also have Kelsey Morden, who I'm just getting to know, and Kelsey has a great depth of understanding of EPR and other environmental issues. She's with the Retail Council of Canada, and she'll be representing that organization in our conversation. And we also have Alda Nickmans, who is with the BC Product Stewardship Council. And for those of you that don't know, that's an organization that really represents um, some of the, the municipalities, the regional districts in BC. And as you know, BC has extensive experience already with EPR. So Alda brings that perspective, which is going to be very valuable to us. But one of our key participants is Heather Von Hoff, and she is executive director of the Water and Waste Policy with Alberta Environment and Parks. And she is really leading the EPR file for Alberta Environment. And so we are thrilled to have her here with us. Uh, so just before we get away from targets, I just want to come back to you, Alta, because BC has that the waste hierarchy um, encouraged in it, but but how in the world do you that do you create reduction targets like like how did how do you actually make that real on the ground so that you actually do encourage and and as a result you actually get accomplishments related to the waste hierarchy. I can tell you my my members have been asking that for mm. sure. Um, we don't see a lot, I have to say, we don't see a lot of it, you know, in the plans, honestly. Um, they are much, I mean, I would say every plan written pretty much by, by a pro is, is around um, recycling much, much more mm -hmm. so than, than, redu than reduction and reduce. Um, it's, again, I think that it's, 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 there's some reference to it, but it's very minimal. So I, I don't know. Okay. And I think we, you know, that's because our regulation is that old too, right? It's almost yeah. 20 years old that it hasn't really been looked at that closely. And it's, it's just a very, very minor part of what's going yeah. on. And we okay. do ask questions often. Yes. Fabulous. Thanks. Thanks all that. Jody, I'm just going to come back to you in just a second. I just, Kelsey, over to you. I just wanted to ask how is Ontario trying to, because I mean, circular economy is actually in the name of your, 
legislation. So I would think that you're seriously looking at things like the waste hierarchy. So how is that being encompassed when you look at the, the higher order uh, options like reduce? Yeah, so Ontario uh, has been looking to include the pollution prevention hierarchy. And obviously the intention is to you know, get as much recycling and reuse as possible to keep that value in the circular economy. So that's been a main focus of conversation. Uh, but in terms of, you know, there's no one solution to, to getting there. I think it will have to be, you know, multiple approaches. And I think with the federal government also talking about developing recycled content standards, you know, that will also be important for provinces to take that into consideration. Uh, and that will have a harmonized approach with recycled content standards across the country. But that's also a solution to incentivize the use of, of recycled materials uh, and to get higher value out of products and packaging. But I think at the end of the day, there'll be multiple you know, strategies to get the highest value. No, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. I think Jody, you had a follow up as well. And then I do have another question for you as well. I, I did. I think for me, this is the perfect example of why we can't talk about EPR programs. EPR programs are an output of an EPR regulation. A program is what a producer puts in place to meet its obligation if it can't reduce. And it's actually part of an EPR system that we start to get reduction. We can't, so, so you know, producers, producers can escape the need, the cost of recycling by putting in reuse programs, putting in refill programs, putting in these other things. So I don't, I don't actually think it makes any sense for a pro to be reporting on reduction, because if I'm a producer doing yep. really well, I'm going to exit that system and do direct return to retail. So that is like, that's a perfect example of why we should be talking about EPR regulation that sets outcomes that results in an EPR system, hopefully, if we do this right. So you really need a different level of reporting and monitoring then. It's not just the standard, okay, the that's exactly it. It's the it's yeah. it's like that. That's what the province should be reporting on is the the hierarchy. The pro reports on what it does best, right? The pro's job is to go in and recycle. The pro should be reporting on recycling and recovery and collection. The province yeah. should be reporting on the four hours hierarchy. Right. Um, we we talked a lot about innovation keeps coming up, and I and I know that's one of the reasons why we don't want to have prescriptive regulation because we want to allow the producers to be innovative, but. Alda, because you have that long-standing system, I, I, I mean, the, it, it's very easy to say, you know what, that's a fantastic idea. We want to be innovative. We want to show how products are evolving to be able to fit into the system better. But has there actually been any progress? What sort of innovative I, examples can you give us that have happened in BC so that we, we can be inspired by the idea that we can encourage innovation? Okay, yeah, you've got me on the spot here. Um, Sorry. Sure. That's okay. That's okay. But again, I I remember um, a few years. I'm sure things have happened recently, but I remember um, Recycle BC. You know, way back actually when Alan Langdon was was the director there, and now he's with um, uh, with Return It. But uh, I remember he was very proud of the fact he spoke out. I think at this Coast Waste Management Conference um, that he had worked with Keurig to change the design of their you know their little cup things that they use in, in, in their, you know, individual coffee um, production system. Uh, and that has changed nationally as a result of a push by Recycle BC. So that's the one example I've always sort of kept okay. in my mind and went, wow, like fantastic, right? Like literally you know, he had a, well, the organization had a strong enough voice and I'm sure probably through Retail Council of Canada as well, right? To, to actually 
um, make a change right there in a product mm-hmm. design to make it more recyclable. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there are more examples. I just can't think of them now. I'm still no, no, no. And that's, that's okay because they, I, I know they do tend to be somewhat elusive. And mm-hmm. I know, Jody, you've been watching this for years. So do you have any other examples, not from BC, but even from other jurisdictions, like even Europe, so that, so that we can say, yes, you know, those are the sorts of things we can look for. Actually, you know, I think a good example is BC. It's right close to home. Recycle BC yeah. has, they're collecting flexible packaging when no one else in the country is doing that. And they are creating research programs to try and figure out what to do with that. So there's a system in place where they're actually out there actively trying to figure out what to do. So I think I think Recycle BC is a great example. Um, there's also, you know, I, I keep talking about Norway is like my favorite example of producer responsibility because all they did was set a target and it's a tax target. And if you don't hit 95% divert or collection, it's not even recycling. If you don't hit 95% collection, uh, then you're going to pay higher taxes. And as a consequence of that, all of these other benefits to, to the environment have fallen out. They're looking at design, they're looking at better systems, they're looking at consumer convenience, they're looking at these kind of triple bottom line things, but it's all to avoid the consequence of this target. So um, so I think that is a perfect example of where you set a high target, you create a, an outcome that is, I guess that's a little, that's punitive for sure, but, but at the same time, it's been punitive in a way where it's not like, if you don't hit 80%, I'm going to fine you. It's if you don't hit 80%, I'm going to give you a tax. Uh, and I want to avoid the tax. So it's a, it's a beautiful example of outcome-based regulation. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, I, 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 yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, Jody's been bringing up flexible packaging a lot, right? And yeah, it's fantastic. It's collected through the, the uh, Recycle BC program. But just to let everybody know, it's not collected at curbside. Okay, it's collected at depots. So remember this, you guys, you need a, a really robust depot system, right, to service um, Alberta, because we have uh, flexible plastics and uh, expanded, ex- expanded polystyrene, right, that is collected at depots um, on behalf of Recycle BC. Just wanted to throw that in there. And, and then we have the glass issue, too, that's out of, well, separately collected, right? It's not commingled um, at curbside. Mm-hmm. And just to and just to jump in quickly, I think yes. it's important to recognize that you know EPR is one policy tool, but a lot of companies also have their own internal commitments when it comes to reduction and reuse. So many companies are actively exploring alternative you know, alternatives and working with suppliers to reduce packaging and and get away from problematic materials such as expanded polystyrene. So it's important to recognize that a lot of that work is already ongoing and it ties in well with extended producer responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, yeah, continuing to, to promote innovation with that flexibility is really important, even when it comes to h- how you meet your obligations, whether it's individually or through a collective, it's important to have, you know, the choice at the end of the day to find those efficiencies. Right. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I just want to transition over to uh, the, the issue of we are, we, it's not that we don't have any systems in Alberta, we do have systems in Alberta. So we need to be looking ultimately at how we're going to transition from what we have today to what we're, how we transition to what we will have and what we really want to have in the future. So I just want to ask a question and, and I'll, I'll come back to you on this partly, Heather, around how do we deal with, we have these functioning systems already but if we're going to transition ultimately to EPR, part of it is a target question, because this is one I think that some of us have been looking at for a while. If you look at a system, for example, like beverage container system, 
uh, EPR systems could dream about having that level of capture that the beverage container system gets. So how do you how do you actually deal with targets that are lower than what the current systems are achieving? And how do you how do you meld that into the transition of those systems towards EPR? Um, Jody, if, if you want to start with that, and then I'll come to you, Heather, in terms of the whole transition of the existing systems. Yeah, so Alberta has really like two two really effective systems in place, right? The programs operated under ARMA, and nobody would argue that those programs are not credible and effective in achieving good things. Uh, the program under Beverage Container Management Board, it is it is a quasi it's a quasi EPR program. You have producers actually managing the system and the costs of the system and reporting to an oversight body. It's actually really, it's, it, it's a hop, skip and a jump away from EPR, but it's, it's close. Um, and the, the, the transition for those programs, I think needs to be thought through really carefully because EPR is not a panacea. And mm-hmm. um, I look at the beverage container program specifically and our program is getting better results than anyone else in the country. We collect the widest range of materials of any program. Uh, we, you can find out readily publicly available information on where that material is going. And if, if you don't find it in the annual report, you can ask, and they're very forthcoming and transparent um, in terms of who they use as producers and, and the residual coming out at the end of the day. And when you look across the country, the only other program that's reporting is BC. It doesn't have the same level of information in terms of the reporting. You can't actually find publicly available information from Saskatchewan right through to Newfoundland in terms of their diversion rate. So I look at that system specifically, and I would want a really careful plan. There's been 50 years of investment in that system, and there's been independent depots right across the province that have invested in that system. So what is what is a fair transition that doesn't leave individual small businesses negotiating with what could be a huge uh, mega monopoly producer responsibility organization that can just outspend you to win a negotiation. So part of that is having outcome-based regulation where the Competition Act applies and where governments aren't sanctioning um, the behavior of these big pros. But there also there, there's also something else in terms of this public policy objective of making sure we're thinking about the triple bottom line. There's the environmental bottom line that we care about as a recycling council, but there's also a triple bottom line because we're all Albertans and we care about that too. So I think that transition from what's on the ground now to a future state needs to be thought through quite carefully. Great, thank you. And Heather, maybe you could just comment on the whole idea of, of we wanna make sure that as we transition that it's a fair transition because there are companies that have invested a lot of money and there's a lot of infrastructure that's been developed. For a multi, for a range of facilities, and and so as we move towards EPR, how do we ensure that that those systems are transitioned in a fair way? For sure. So I, I want to pick up on an earlier comment about the beverage container system. So you know, certainly we weren't we aren't um, looking at EPR for that at this yeah. time. So first point. Second point is when when and if we do look at that, we don't want to have outcomes that are worse than what we're achieving today, right? Like that, that's not good public policy and that's not a direction we would go. Um, we are very proud of the beverage container management system and all the players who make it a success. So first point. Second point, in terms of a fair and orderly transition to new systems, you know, today our focus is on, on the programs that I mentioned today. So those are you know, packaging, plastics, printed paper, and the, the old HHW materials. Um, we are looking at creating a system for those. Over time, it's possible other 
other materials will move into EPR, but decisions haven't been made about that at this right. time. And so it's really important that we focus on the task at hand, we move forward with that, and, and we get success there, and then think about broadening um, in the future. But, but if, you know, I don't like these analogies very much, because I think, I think they're actually sort of hideous, really, but, you know, you don't, you don't want to eat an elephant in one, one gulp, right? Like, yeah, you, you've got to take your time and do it right. And, and that's our approach. We're taking our time, we're doing it right. We're having a lot of discussions with stakeholders. We really want to understand people's perspectives. We want to avoid unintended consequences. We want to ensure a fair and level playing field. We don't want free riders, you know, all those things. Um, and so we're moving carefully, we're moving cautiously, and we're really listening to what people have to say and considering that very carefully. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Heather. Um, we're, we're coming close to the end now. I want to start to wind down, but but I don't feel like we spent enough time talking about, you know, talking about infrastructure, talking about municipalities. So Alda, I want to bring this back to you and just after what you've read and what you've heard, um, how, how do you see municipalities being involved, involved in, in the system going forward? And one of the things I'd like to, you to also address is, is how do we, how do municipalities have the confidence to know that they're going to get the level of service that they want? And are, how, how do we deal to with more remote communities so that it's not actually that remote communities are like second class citizens? Uh, well, <laughs> I think with your outcomes based regulation, that will help to protect the outlying areas because you'll define that right in the regulation, right? How much service they will get, where where the locations will, will be for depots, that kind of thing. It will it will be defined in your regulation. So let's start with that. Um, again, much more so than it is for us here um, in British Columbia. For from the municipal perspective and participating, you know, within the EPO, well, within within your your EPR program for PPP, um, you can be as involved as you choose to be, I would say, right? And again, I'll give you the example from BC. Initially, um, we had three different reactions, right? When, when we moved towards um, EPR for PPP, you had some communities that said, no, we're afraid, we don't wanna join. Uh, we want to keep managing our programs ourselves. That meant their residents were continuing to pay for the program, even though industry was there with the option, right, to, to uh, provide the service at, at no cost to the community. But there was ha basically half a million communities that represented half a million people in British Columbia chose to, to not join the system initially. Okay, but again, we were the first in Canada. So there was a lot of fear about it, right? The second option was, okay, let's negotiate. Yes, okay, we're willing to uh, give this a try. Let's negotiate. Let's become contractors to industry, right? And again, that's a flip. It's, it's like bass backwards, as people will say, right? So again, right, that was something that, that, that took a lot of, you know, mindset change. And, and, it, and we had a, a lot of groups discussions here right between communities um and that's where our association came in um and ubcm yeah. as well right to to get people talking and talking about the contracts and all that and what they were going to sign what they were going to negotiate so a great number of communities went ahead and became contractors to recycle bc and they continue to do so then you had a group 
group, though, that said, okay, this is pure EPR. We have industry responsible for this product. Let's give them the product and let's not be involved at all. And that was a big step. And not that many communities did it initially, but there were some because there was that fear of what was the service going to look like, like you mentioned, right, Christina? Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget, in, in, in the, uh, the presentation I did for you in January, you know, I had some numbers there and I forget them right now off the top of my head. Um, but so it was a f- small number of communities that said, go ahead, provide the service. And over time, people learned that you didn't have to fear industry, you know, contracting out that service and giving up the responsibility because the community was able to divert the funds from what they were, you know, shelling out to manage their curbside recycling programs into other areas like compost program development, right? And elite education. So, um, and what's happened over time is no more communities now in British Columbia are going it alone. Number one, half a million people, you know, didn't initially, but now every, the last community came on board. I think just this past summer, actually, it's either this past summer or, or this summer, I forget now, but that last community came on board to recycle BC and more communities are, 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 are turning over full responsibility to, um, you know, to, to the, the stewardship organization to recycle BC, like city of Vancouver and all three North shore communities, West van, North van and North van district. Those are some good examples there. Right. So the trend is, you know, moving towards handing over full responsibility to, to the stewardship organization. So yeah. three different options. Yeah. Don't afraid to jump in, you know, with both feet is my recommendation. Okay. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Alda. I, I think the municipalities that are on the line will really appreciate that. Um, I also I also need to make a plug then for our next webinar, which is on April 13th, which is all about municipalities and how they will be impacted with EPR. So if you feel we didn't get into enough detail about the municipal issues today, we are going to do that on April 13th. So hopefully you'll uh, sign in again there and we'll talk in a lot more detail about the municipal issues. The, the, the last issue I wanted to just quickly deal with Kelsey is the whole question of transboundary issues, both in terms of the producers that are multinational companies, as well as our ability to actually have materials. And of course, in Alberta, we're very sensitive about plastics and the new regs around plastics, that, that we need to be able to move that material out of the province as well. Um, so I just wonder if you can give us a, a quick rundown of what you see as any key transboundary issues that we should be concerned about. I think the whole concept of transboundary comes back to the idea of having harmonization across the provinces, since that really allows systems to be created at scale. And I think the same way that producers have product supply chains to get consumers products, you know, there should be opportunities to do the reverse logistics of that and and build those supply chains to get materials back, have them processed and and made into new products and packaging to really create that uh, circular economy scale. So I I don't think you want to design a system that's isolated to a region or a province when you can really start to get that scale and drive down costs. So I think that's one thing to consider from the the transboundary aspect. And in terms of multinational companies, I think they have a lot of expertise to bring to the table since they participate in EPR programs around the world. Uh, and have experience with supply chains. And at the end of the day, you know, they want to be complied in these programs. They have their own sustainability commitments. So it's really all feeding that into the system and collaborating. 
Uh, and maybe just to add to, to all those uh, comment before with municipalities, I think when you have flexibility and an outcomes-based uh, regulation, it's important to have that data right from the outset uh, and, and have an understanding of municipal data allows you to build a better system and supports the transition to minimize any disruption and job loss. So I think that would be a key learning from both BC and Ontario is really emphasizing the importance of data right from the beginning. So, yeah, so Kelsey, thank you. And I think that 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 is definitely an imperative for us, I think, to get the data that we need going forward. So Heather, that's something we probably need to put our heads together on is how we get enhanced municipal data so that we actually have a good foundation for moving forward on this. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to go back to Heather with the last question. But before I do that, Jody, did you have any last comments on the last couple of things we talked about? I, you know, I think Alda said it really well. I think at the end of the day, municipalities are in a really good position to be decision makers about how they're going to participate in the system. I think when I've, when I've listened to, um, you know, folks from Recycle BC or from CSSA talk, they've talked about the need for partnerships with the municipalities that, that they, they want, they want to build those partnerships and they're, they're imperative to actually achieving their, their goal. I, I suspect at the end of the day, it's cheaper for them if municipalities do the collection than if they're trying to hire third parties. So there, there might be a good business reason for doing that. Um, I think the one thing that municipalities, if I was a municipality, I would, uh, you know, I'm, I know some of the major municipalities have um, contracts coming up. And I think the question I would have is, oh, my God, there's an uncertain regulatory future. We don't know when this is coming in. I actually am going to contract someone to run a MRF. Uh, what do I do? What do I do in that short period of time between now and this uncertain date when a regulation comes in? So I think that's a question that if I was a municipality, I would feel very uncomfortable with right now, just because of the, the yeah. lack of clarity of timing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very fair point. Thank you, Jody. Okay, I, thank you so much everybody for, for hanging in. Um, this has been an amazing conversation, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta Circular Podcast on iTunes and Google Podcast for more from the RCA or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.